Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory Episode 2. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. Today, I am welcoming David Poitier to the second episode of the Restory Show, and he is a pastor in Montreal in Quebec and uh, has an amazing story for our listeners today. I think that you'll be able to relate to some of the things that he went through in high school, and I have a feeling that some of you will resonate with what he has to say. So let's listen to his story. I am so excited today to have David Poitier with me. He is the pastor, uh, one of the pastors of La Chapelle Church in Quebec, in Montreal. And he uh, told, as we talked before the interview, he said, make sure everyone knows that English is not my first language. <laughs> so uh, he will have an awesome Quebecois accent, and uh, we will have a great time. So David, thanks so much for coming on the Restory podcast today. Thank you, Mary. Glad to be with you. It's awesome. Um, so I'm going to take you back a little bit to the olden days when you were just a young, young boy. Yeah. <laughs> and just tell me a little bit about uh, where you were raised and um, how your childhood went. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, so I was a church kid, uh, went to church all my life. And I liked it, but I didn't get it. So I had friends I had a social network there. I had no particular love for Christ or I was not really aware of my need for God. So at 15 years old, a friend of my father talked with me about Jesus and hope and forgiveness. And uh, I just clicked. And uh, at age 15, I gave my life to Christ and uh, slowly began to change me completely. Not like everything changed at once, but I began to change. I went to my uh, adult life, young adult life, with some projects, with some dream, but I didn't expect that uh, the fact that I gave my life to Christ five years before would change everything for me. That's awesome. And so, like you said, I think the, the Christian journey, we kind of wish that we 100% changed on that day we become Christians, but that doesn't always happen. So, um, you mean I haven't, I'm not interviewing someone perfect at this point. Nope. Really? <laughs> I mean, not. I mean, yeah, me neither. Uh, we, before we talk on the show, you mentioned that you had some difficulty in high school with feeling like you were maybe out of sorts or an outcast. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. The fact that I gave my life to Christ came with a great price mm. uh, for me. Uh, I was uh, rejected for it at school, had to leave a lot of friends. I don't truly really know if they left me or I left them, but mm -hmm. I think they're more left me than I did. And uh, I had another 
another worldview than since the moment I gave my life to Christ. And I had difficult, tough, hard choices to make. And for a 15-year-old kid, this is not easy, especially in high school. I think junior high, senior high school is probably the most difficult place to be a Christian in America. I don't talk about Muslim countries, but in America, high school is a tough place to be a Christ follower. And I had tough choices to make, and I made them, but with a great price. I was rejected a lot. I was ostracized a lot. Sometimes it was a kind of verbal abuse. Sometimes it was just indifference. But both were tough, and uh, it was a tough time for me. I didn't talk about it with anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk about it with my parents, with my friends, uh, the friends I had. I had several friends, not a lot, but it was really tough. And those friends were not at school. So school was painful, really, really painful. I would do anything to not go to school every morning, but I had to. Mm. So do you have a story that kind of typifies or that kind of shows what you went through in high school? I, I don't have any particular story about it. It was just like a, a spirit, a heaviness, a day-to-day reality I didn't have a kind of story like I was beaten and had to go to the hospital, (laughs) but it it was heavy on my heart. I was just looking at some pictures of me, of my teenage years. I was surprised by my, one of those pictures, one of those years, and my face was really strange. Hmm. It didn't look like me. When you look before and we look after, okay, that's kind of me at a different stage of life. But when I look at that picture, I was like, it's looked like it's not me. And I told my wife, you see me? It's look, it's not me. And I said to her, that was the toughest year mm. of my life. So it was more a, a general thing than a particular thing. How did that solidify your relationship with Christ? I mean, you're definitely making a sacrifice and you chose him over popularity and other things. I'm sure there were hard parts of that too, but was there a gem in the middle of that? Yeah, there were. I think that was probably uh, what we are made of many events, things, but I think this was probably the major thing that made me Mm. as who I am today as a leader, as a preacher. Some people asked me, because I'm a preacher, where did you learn to preach? They said, have you taken classes in seminary? Have you taken some special speaking classes? Or have you read books? And I did all that. Mm-hmm. But nothing of this really show me or learn me how to preach. What mm-hmm. I answered is I learned how to preach when I was rejected in high school. Hmm. When I was alone, that's where I learned to preach. That's peculiar because I was not, you know, in the cafeteria on the on the on, on the, the table. They <laughs> give your life to Jesus at all. I was not that kid. I, I didn't have this courage. But to go through that made me realize how I needed God. I had nothing to to rest on. No friends. I had family, but no friends. And I realized how I needed God, how I needed the church, mm-hmm. how I needed Christian friends. It made me realize that people suffer in this world and life can be tough and that I was not alone in that. And to live it, make me now the preacher that I am, to give hope and courage 
and to know a bit, just a bit, of what people live, mm -hmm. of the suffering they go through. So not only preaching, but having empathy for other people because you've been through that. Definitely, because I think the key part of preaching is empathy. One of the key uh, part component of it. And without empathy, you're just saying words that people don't receive. It's like a song that's playing in the background. You speak, 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 but you don't touch your their heart. And many speakers or preachers talk. Not many speaker or preachers touch the heart of people. And I think that's one element of it. If you have empathy and with the Holy Spirit, you can have more than that. You can have really compassion. I think when you speak, you really touch the heart of people because they feel you care and you're caring. The caring of God through your small human caring made something mystical and supernatural that touch people and transform their lives because they feel deeply that your message is for them. I recently got back from Geneva where I was teaching a lot and had an opportunity to preach on a Thursday night at a, a service. You're touching on something that I don't think people talk about very often, and especially not in leadership realm, and that is this idea of being deeply connected to your audience and having people come up to you later and saying things like, you understand me. Even though you may not have gone through what they went through, just because you've had this experience If you allow it to break you in the right places, it causes you to have that kind of compassion, like you said, for your audience. So I just want to you know, commend you for saying it that way, because I hadn't thought about it quite in those terms, but you're right. I think that's really wise. Yes. And I said to my church, uh, I think it's two weeks ago, I said, I would go back there anytime to have what I have now. Uh, it was tough, but I, would, I wouldn't do differently because that made me the person I am today. And so for those people who are walking through one of those really difficult times, it helps us to remember that we will get beyond them, that someday we'll be able to look back and thank God for it too. Oh, yes. I definitely think that most of our trials are a season and that we're going to go through and God have a purpose in that. We don't always see it. I never thought at this point of being a preacher I was just a kid and I wanted to be a doctor and to make money, buy everything I want to buy. You know, yeah, that was yeah. but God really changed my heart. Suffering changed me. God changed me. And today I'm probably uh, one of the most unmaterialistic person I know. That's not my purpose in life. My purpose is really to glorify God by building people. So tell me about that transformation. You must have gone to college and you were you pre-med when you went in? I went to college, but in another field completely. Oh, wow. Okay. And I graduate and I studied engineering and um, I graduate and I worked a bit in that field. And were you married by this time? Uh, yes. Yeah. What, what is surprising is my wife, she's a pastor kid. She wanted to marry the pastor because she felt the call to the ministry, but she married me. And when we get married, I had no intention to go in the ministry. <laughs> I had no ambition of that. And my wife had, but she married me. So that's what kind of weird. But after two years of marriage, uh, God put that in my heart. I graduated from engineering and uh, God began to change my purposes. So I worked for five years as an engineer. But at the same time, we took the uh, youth ministry in the small church. We were part of it at this time. 
Awesome. And so then that kind of gave you or whet your appetite for what was to come, I would imagine. Yes, because in fact, God is uh, working in mysterious way. When our pastor at this point asked us to take the uh, youth ministry, I thought he was crazy because, <laughs> because we don't had the profile for that. You know, uh, when, when pastors want to find a youth leader or a youth pastor, they look at the coolest young adult in their crowd and look spiritual and ask them. We had nothing cool, <laughs> uh, nothing. Um, we, I hated kids at that <laughs> True story. I hated them because I had such bad experiences with kids that I hated them. I had... I, I was I was still hurt, and I thought that I cannot relate to teenagers, and I had nothing to do with them. But the pastor came to us and asked, "Would you take the youth ministry?" And like I said, I thought it was crazy. But the only reason why he can ask us is because we were faithful at church, mm. uh, because there was no other evidence of this couple or especially me can do the job and my wife that was strong in our hearts because we haven't have a youth ministry for two years in that church at mm. that point so she said we need to do it and i said i don't feel that i don't i hate kids you know what <laughs> she said but they have anybody so we should do it and i said are you the one who's gonna preach to them she said no <laughs> You know that that's not my gift. I said, that's not my gift either. I will not do that. But <laughs> nobody. So we didn't, I, seriously, I didn't accept the position because I had a, a really big burden on my heart. No, it's just because they had anybody. So I said, those kids need somebody. I was 23 and I began to do that. And it completely changed my life. Mm. Those kids... God saved me. I was saved in terms of, in a theological way, I was. I was saved from uh, depravity. I was saved from eternity without God. Mm -hmm. But God saved me with those kids, through those kids, in another way. He restored me. Mm -hmm. He revealed me. And the kids were, for me, like a salvation. I've given them love, but they love me so much in return. And it's like I never get back to be a teenager, unmature person. I was really mature as a young adult. Mm. But to be around those kids gave me back a part of what the enemy steal me when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I was never like their friend. I was like their big brother. I was always their pastor, their authority, but... I was with them all the time. Can't have friends because when you're a youth pastor, you don't have time to have friends. You're always with kids. But it changed me. It's rebuilt me. And the thing that was really huge in me was judgment. Because when you suffer so much, for me, it, it, it built walls around me. And I was judging people a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And kids changed me that because they, they came with who they were. And I remember some kids were looking strange for me. Uh, some were really unconventional. I remember a guy who became later the youth pastor at my place. When he arrived first at church, he was already Christian, but he was so, so different. And so, I don't know how to describe that guy. So 
expensive and so extroverted and so everything that I thought he was not a Christian. Hmm. And I judged him. But I was confronted with that because after some weeks, I said, this guy's really Christians, but he wears a Mohawk. <laughs> it's really weird. And he be Christian. And I was confronted with my judgment and my legalism. Hmm. And those five years I did that changed me completely. I learned grace. I learned uh, how God loved people the way they are, that we don't have to be clones to be a Christian. Mm. We can be what we are, what God is calling us to be, and be a Christian. So that was a, a huge, huge, huge step for me uh, to be their youth pastor. That's awesome. I, I joke with Patrick about um, last summer when we came to visit you because he's always said he'll he'll never be a youth pastor. He's just, yeah. it's not his thing. But we were tasked with leading about 16, 16 year old girls <laughs> to Montreal on a mission trip. And he did really great, but it, it just makes me laugh that we think we know what's best for us. Like you thought, oh no, I'm not going to be a youth pastor. I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to do any of that. And yet your wife and the Lord <laughs> knew something better. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that, really. So today for the listeners of ReStory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. Um, I'll make the suggestion that you try Beautiful Battle because that's my book about spiritual warfare, and that is something that David and I talked about in this episode. Um, you can download Beautiful Battle or any other book that you've been wanting to listen to at audibletrial.com forward slash ReStory. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash restory for a free audiobook. So tell me, you're, you know, now you've, you're planting or you've planted a church in the heart of Quebec and it's gone very well. But how did God get a hold of you to start something pioneering like that? When I, when I came to Christ, the vision, the dream to be a pastor began to grow and it grow exponentially exponentially when I began to be this huge volunteer youth pastor. It grew big, big, big. But I was fighting with that uh, for years. And God confirmed through the years how uh, he wanted me to do that. But it, it began with a desire to be a pastor. And after that, it went to a desire to take a church. And after that, I told myself, okay, maybe I should plant a church because we need more churches. Right. But my initial plan was to plant in a more rural place because that's where I'm from. But finally, through many circumstances, God brought us to Montreal to take the young adult ministry in a large church in the city. And uh, we did not expect that. God brought, brought us there. But those years... In Montreal, I saw the need. I saw uh, how Montreal's world was lost and uh, my paradigm shift completely. I, I thought that rural place needed more churches than Montreal, but was not the case. In fact, per capita, Montreal need more churches than other cities. Mm -hmm. So my paradigm shift and I felt this calling, it, it was growing. In fact, this thing grew for almost 14 years wow. before we went to launch the church. It was a dream that began with the seed, but the seed grew so much that two years before the launching, when I said to my pastor, I think I'm going to plant a church, it became that I could not not do it. It was too heavy. I was burning, burning so much. And God confirmed that through many circumstances. It was so a fire 
uh, it was not like I have many dreams, I have many visions. It was one thing, mm. growing for 14 years, never go back, never went off, or it was just growing every, every month of my life. And before I did it, I said to my wife, if I don't do that, I think I'm going to die. Mm. I, I think I can't live without doing it. And I was afraid that it was not going to work. But I told my wife, you know, if it's not working, I know it's going to be the hardest thing in my life, but I will come back from that. But if I don't do it, I think I will never live happy without doing it. I prefer failing and try than just not try and live off my life with that thought. What would happen if I did it? Right. And so how long have you been at La Chapelle? How long has the plant been so far? So we're now two and a half years old church. We're still a baby church. <laughs> Toddler church. Yes. And uh, we launched in April 2013 in a nice, in a high school auditorium. And we grew quickly. God was unbelievable uh, with us. We never saw something like that uh, yet in Quebec, in Montreal. We grew from like 30 people in my living room to about 550 in six months. Wow. And we grew uh, in the next year to about 800 people. And now two and a half years old, we are about 1,100 people. But we have two churches. We just launched a new church six weeks ago in another neighborhood we send 150 people there to plan that church. So totally we have 1,100 people, two locations. We already baptized uh, four people in our new venue. Wow. So this is fantastic. We, we baptize about 100 people a year and God make, make the church grow every week. Uh, people are getting saved. People are baptized. Uh, it's, it's really exciting to see what God can do in a really, really secular, probably, I think, the most secular city in North America. Yes, I would agree with you. Yes. So um, when you're doing something like this, I mean, it's super countercultural, and it's, like you said, in a dark place. Can you give us a picture of some of the spiritual warfare that you've walked through as you've planted this church? Because, it, I mean, just hearing the story, it's like, oh, we were 500, then 1,100, and we're doing really great, but there must have been some opposition that came along the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> The opposition is unconventional, I yes. would say. We had some unexplainable, naturally attacks mm -hmm. in our home. And those were specially target during we the week we launched the first church mm. and the second church. Interesting. Yeah, so kind of weird things uh, happened to us, things that I never uh, experienced before or after those church launch. So there is spiritual activity involved with church planting a lot. That's peculiar. But on a, I would say, on a weekly basis or on a daily basis, to be in a secular culture, I think, make ministry more difficult. The discouragement, the pressure on you and your staff is is unusual. People can be discouraged in like that. Uh, you can hire a staff member who prayed and, and dreamed all his life to be in full-time ministry. And when he jumped in, uh, in one month, he can be burned totally uh, because the spiritual activity is really, really heavy. So we need to learn to manage that. Mm -hmm. We need to learn to rest in God 
to put our loads at the cross every day and learn to God God make our spiritual muscles grow quicker because what I looked at what I endures what was on me as a leader as a pastor as a father in the last year I said to myself okay God made me grew a lot he grew my spiritual muscles because a year ago I cannot take that I could not it was too too big too heavy so God made us grow but we need to stay close to the Lord we need to pray a lot we always begin every week with this with the staff with prayer Mm -hmm. always for do anything, we pray as a team. Because if we don't pray, we're dead. The people will become so discouraged. We need to be really, really fighters against the strategy of the, the enemy through discouragement. So we really refuse to be uh, discouraged, to be let down. We fight that uh, with the grace of God. And we decided that our church will be a place that we celebrate Jesus uh, because we don't want to be a dark, sad, heavy place. So we just celebrate all the time, everything. Uh, yeah, we, we repent sometimes, but we celebrate the fact we're forgiven because this needs to be a, a, a place of light, of hope, of optimism, of faith, and a place of celebration uh, because we're attacked. But I think in the greatest attack, you have the greatest victory. Um, I was reading uh, Balaam's story and... In the story, I discovered that when the enemy strike is because he's afraid. Balak was afraid of Israel. That's why he attacked. He tried to curse them. And God, not only he, he was protecting Israel, but he took every curse in a blessing. And that's what Moses told Israel years later when he was writing about those events. He said, your God did not listen to Balaam words uh, because, and he blessed you, he did not curse you because he loved mm. you, loved you. So for me, that's an encouragement. When the enemy strike, I know that he's afraid. And I know that God will turn into in a blessing every, every uh, try of every, uh, every word he, or every situation the enemy tried to use to, to curse us. He will turn it into a blessing. We, we live it. And we had a particular spiritual attack that I, I don't want to, to share in details. But um, when we lived that, my answer to the enemy was, I didn't know that you were so afraid of us. Mm. I didn't know that you were so afraid of uh, a little church in Montreal that tried to. I didn't think that you had time to lose with us that you're so afraid about what we are doing. So I took it as an encouragement hmm. and a discouragement. I, I said to the church uh, last month, if you want to be discouraged, listen to your enemies. But if you want to be encouraged, listen really to your enemies. Hmm. And you may find in that reason to be encouraged. Don't listen to them. Listen really to them because we listen to them on the surface. We looked at their intentions to crush us or to uh, to curse us. But listen to what they say truly. When Balak went to Balaam, he said, I want them, I want you to curse them because they are more powerful, more stronger than I am. 
listen to them. Listen to your enemies. They say things. You can you can say, oh, that's the reason why I need to rejoice. That's the reason why I need to be encouraged. And you can do the same thing with the enemy of your soul also and receive his message in another way than he thought you would receive it and be blessed through that. I love that. I, you're sounding like a preacher right now. <laughs> hey, you'll have to preach in English now. <laughs> I know that would be fun, wouldn't it? I, I, would, I would love to. Maybe someday I will improve myself. Andy. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. So two last things. One is this is a hard road. Ministry is a hard road. And, you can, and as you've mentioned, you can get very discouraged. What kind of things do you do to kind of keep your joy? I really, really, it, it sounds cliche, but I need to learn to to put my baggage to God every day. I need that. I really need that. But I have this, like, it's like a, with my closest leader, we have this um, kind of covenant that we will not allow any depression or, or discouragement crush us. And we are careful. We, we really uh, look at each other. And when we see one of us a bit discouraged, we come with uh, words of life and give life to each other's. And we are a group of four, four leaders, like strong, uh, mature leaders. And so we watch one another, but also we have an eyes on the people around us. And we're in mission. We're in mission. If you come to Quebec, this is the place where you have most people with depression mm-hmm. in North America. So we watch them carefully and we, we are in mission to give life through the spirit to the people around us. So I have this, kind of, it's not an accountability group, but it's like a, more a covenant that we have together and where we are in a room, doesn't matter where it is. We are the encouragers. Mm-hmm. We are the one who give life to people. And I discovered that to be in that mode makes you encourage. You, you mm-hmm. encourage people when you, you, you are encouraged when you encourage others. So that's another way I do it. I do it through prayer. I do it with, to being with a accountability group. And those men go to, through trials. Not, they don't have easy life. But it doesn't matter what we go through. It can be a, a tough family thing or it can be a health thing. doesn't matter. We refuse to be crushed. And uh, so this group helped me uh, also as uh, this encourage others when you are or be tempted to be discouraged. It's helping me. I, I refuse to like just cry on my my uh my life and my tough times and i just refuse that i want to be an encouragement for someone else and it's like when you are that vessel god say okay you want to pour on others i'll pour in you i'll i'll be the one that gonna give life to you and as a leader you need to be able to encourage yourself in the lord as david did yeah because if you can't do that you can't be a leader you just can't because I, as a leader, I think my primarily, the most important thing I can do as a leader is to keep myself encouraged. I think that's the most important thing of all. So if I'm not, how can I lead anybody? I need to learn to be encouraging the Lord. But when you want to be that vessel to help others, God, God is really generous and gracious to you. I love that. And it's a good word for everybody because I think we all battle discouragement no matter what our vocation is. And (laughs) we all need those covenant people in our lives who will see us when we're depressed or down and who will help us to 
you know, turn around. Yes. Other warriors, you need to be around with people who will have the same heart to say, hey, there's enough darkness here. Yes. <laughs> there's enough depression here. We're going to be different. And, and uh, God is, is gracious to us because it, it's working. It's working in the most depressed, dark, secular culture in North America. God give us this grace. Yep. So my last question is, uh, looking back over your entire life, how has God restoried you? When you say that, I think about my teenage years. I think my journey without God would be that, yes, I was rejected because I choose Christ. But I think that if I had not followed Christ, I would be a so selfish person person that probably even my even my wife would never marry <laughs> um, because I, I was not on the road to help people lay my life down for Christ and people at all I was so selfish and I still but God helped me I'm more compassionate than I was I'm more um, others oriented than I was I'm more humble I'm still a prideful person but I'm more hum humble than I was. And uh, God rewrote my story. My story would be, I'm going to make money because I was gifted academically. My story would be, I would be, uh, I would have a nice job, paid well, big house, but be not being a nice person uh, toward others and not helping anyone. But God rewrote my story. He put me in a place that I was suffering. He leveraged that. And he used that for his glory to make me the person I am today. And I never thought many people would come to Christ with my preaching, with my ministry. I never thought it would be possible, but he did that. He did that. So he completely rewrote my story. Uh, he changed my dreams. He changed my purposes. He changed my interest. He changed the way I think, speak, act. He rewrote everything. Uh, so I would say uh, to have uh, to give the book to God and to give him a book with blank is the best thing someone can do because he will write an incredible story. And this one will be better than your, the one you would try to write yourself. Well said, David. Thank you so much for coming on today. I know that a lot of people will be really blessed and um, your English was awesome. So great job. Oh, so much. You're generous. And uh, <laughs> I can't wait to see you back in Montreal. Thanks for listening to Restory. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, thank you for this great story that David shared, both about his struggles during high school and the way that you have completely restoried him from a professional person to someone who's in ministry and planting a fast-growing church. We pray blessing upon his ministry. Um, we thank you for his heart and his desire to praise you, to find ways to encourage others so that he doesn't get discouraged and that you've placed people around him that, um, that just hold him up. So I pray for the people listening to this podcast today that you would send us some warriors like that in our lives, that when we are discouraged, you will send people that, um, that are awesome, that will help us to see where we need encouragement. I also pray for those who feel like the outcast or feel um, set apart or feel the sting of walking with you. Um, Father, would you just bring encouragement to them today? 
And Lord, for those of us who have big dreams, who want to see the kingdom of God expanded, but it's so scary and it seems uh, like impossible, it's like it's so impossible. I pray, Father, that you would awaken those dreams, that you would bring new stories you would give us the gumption and the guts to take a step forward toward the things that you have for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, just go to restoryshow.com forward slash two. And may you live a brand new story this week.